If you would take your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, as you're turning there, uh, let me uh, mention a couple things. Uh, first of all, I want to remind you of the starting point class uh, for those that um, have signed up or those that are planning on signing up. We're going to meet in the uh, choir practice room, which is right behind the cross here. You can go through either of these doors here and make your way uh, in there. And so that's where we'll be meeting next Sunday. Um, and so if you're interested in getting to know uh, more about the church and just kind of who we are, our history, what we believe how we operate, those type of things. Uh, we'll have five weeks together uh, where we do that. I hope that you will uh, sign up and um, be, be a part of, of that. And uh, let me encourage you about our marriage retreat uh, coming up. There are brochures out in the lobby. And uh, last year, uh, I spent some time talking with the deacons about uh, the marriage retreat and particularly the need to strengthen uh, families and the priority that, that we want to make that as a church. And so we have set funds aside uh, to offset that. And so the cost for the marriage retreat is $100. And that includes your hotel room, uh, multiple meals, the sessions, and everything there. And the church off, uh, writes off or takes takes care of uh, the rest of the cost for that. And so I hope that you'll plan. That's coming up in April. I know that's just a few months away. Um, but go ahead and get signed up. Make that a priority for you and your spouse and for your family uh, there if you would. Uh, as we're going through Colossians, our goal um, is found in chapter 1 in verse number 11 where Paul writes that we might be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Can I tell you this morning, our strength is, is not enough. We don't have it within ourselves uh, to save ourselves. In and of ourselves, we are weak. Unfortunately, though, many try to live the Christian life in their strength, and that's why we see in our world today so many weak Christians, so many weak families, and therefore so many weak churches. We said last week that we are in a spiritual battle. Um, our physical strength, our mental strength, our understanding is not enough. And so Paul prayed that the church here would be strengthened in the power of his might, speaking of Jesus Christ. Our strength does not uh, come from within us to succeed uh, spiritually. It does not come from the world. And to be honest, it does not come from our church, but it must come from the Lord himself. There have been many Christians who have sat right where you sit in this church and yet no longer go to church, no longer serve God. There's been many Christians, countless Christians, that have been faithful to Sunday school and maybe even taught Sunday school, been active in uh, children's ministries or singing in the choir and, and faithfully every day. And, and somewhere along the line, they become weary and well-doing. They, be, they begin to faint because all of their strength comes from their own abilities. And let me be honest with you, if you're focusing on your strength to succeed spiritually, one day you're going to give up. Eventually you're going to stop serving. You might not quit church altogether, but you're not going to do the things you once did and you're not going to be as involved as you should be or as you once were because you're weak. And what happens many times is we begin to make excuses. We begin to justify why we're not doing the things that we should be doing, why we're not attending like we should, why we're not involved like we should be. And we begin to justify that. Well, you know, it's just a busy stage of life. Let's be honest. 
Every stage of life you've been in has been a busy stage of life, right? I mean, there's never been a stage of life that you've had, oh, listen, when our kids get in school, listen, life's going to slow down. I, let's be honest, it gets worse and worse as you go on. You know, when my kids go off to college, oh, it's going to slow down. I'll be ready to serve God and we'll do it then. If you're not doing it now, you're not going to do it later. When I speak to college students, I tell them all the time, you know, if you're not serving the Lord now, if you're not doing devotions now because you're busy in college and you got all that going on, when you get out in the workforce and you start having a family, you're not going to do it then either. And the reality is, is that we're doing it in our own power, our own strength, in our own way. And Paul says we need to be strengthened in the power of his might. We need to be strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of these weak Christians, we see that churches have begun to wane in our society. Churches have become weak and even to the point where many have gone out of out of existence. And so today as we begin this book, as we start here, I want us to start with some foundational information. In chapter, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 8, we learn some really what I'm calling some basic truths that we must understand as we desire to be strong in the Lord. For some to here today, these might be new concepts, but for many, this is just a, a needed reminder. Last night, I laid down to go to bed, and uh, next thing I know, I found myself looking at the clock, and it was 10 o'clock. And some of you are like, wait, you went to bed, and you looked at the clock, it was 10 o'clock? Like, yeah, I go to bed early, people. And uh, I looked at the clock, it was 10 o'clock. Next thing I know, it was 11 o'clock. It was 12 o'clock, and uh, it was the last time I remember seeing the clock. And then I woke up, and um, it was 3.30 in the morning. And I tried to lay there and go back to sleep, and the Lord did something that He hasn't done to me in a long time. Generally, when I'm writing these sermons, the Lord works in my heart and life first, and, and He's done that through, the, through reading the book of Colossians and as I've been studying this. And, but last night, the Lord really pricked my heart when it came, and I began to walk through my sermon and think, Man, you got, you got areas to work on, buddy. I mean, you, you need to get back. You, you need to figure this. You need to get back to where you need to be, and, and you need to get some things right, and, 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 and you got some things out of focus in life, and now some of you are wondering, what is it? What's, what's your problems? What's your issues? And I'm not telling you. Listen, you don't tell me. I don't tell you, right? That's, I get to go to the Lord. I believe in the priesthood of the believer, and so I confess my sins to him. And, and, uh, but I begin to, to think through maybe some attitudes that I had or some actions, and maybe somebody, I feel like maybe I hurt their feelings or something like that. And, and God began to work in my life. And, and so finally about 4.30, I just, I just got up and, and, and I just began to pray and the Lord really worked in my heart. And so I, I truly hope that, that these will be a help to you today and that really God will work in your heart. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your spirit that works in our lives and convicts us of sin. And Lord, I pray that each one here today truly would know Christ as their Savior. And if there's somebody, Lord, that Lord is, is, has never trusted Christ, has put it off or some reason fighting it, or, or Lord, is, Lord is just relying on their own power to get them to heaven, Lord, help them to realize today it's only through Christ that they can have eternal life. And may they turn from their sin and by faith receive Jesus Christ today. But for those of us that are Christians, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us and help us, Lord, uh, in some of these areas that we talk about today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to begin in verse number one. The first thing I want you to notice, just by way of introduction to this book, are the people that we're introduced to. The Bible tells us right off the bat in verse number one, Paul, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, we're introduced to Paul. Paul was a very religious person known before his salvation as Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And he was a Jew that had Roman citizenship and he was one that studied the Old Testament scriptures. He, he was the one that, that uh, he, he knew that there was a, a God. And, but however, when um, Jesus Christ came and died on the cross, uh, he was so entrenched in his beliefs, he struggled to receive Christ and believe until the point where he became a, a persecutor of the church. And he was on the, the Damascus Road heading to, to persecute the church. And he did everything he could to stomp out the church. And it was there on the Damascus Road that he met Jesus Christ for the first time. He met Jesus Christ and, and, and it was there that he professed him and, and he received him as his savior and, and, and made the, the promise that he would go to do whatever the Lord had called him to do. And so now we come to the book of Colossians and what does the Bible say? Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. God had called this man to be one that is sent out to the Gentiles. And notice here, Paul says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul understood that his authority came from God himself. The church didn't recognize his authority. It wasn't the other apostles that gave him the authority, but he understood that he was called by Jesus Christ himself. And because of this, he had boldness. He had boldness to proclaim the message. He had boldness to point out sin. He had boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because his position was given to him by God himself. You know, the same thing is true for us. And this is an area the Lord really convicted me last night as I was thinking about this, as I'm getting ready to proclaim. I thought, how many people did you preach the gospel to this week? How many tracts did you hand out? How many opportunities did you maybe, maybe pass up? And listen, this is a priority in my life, but I know I'm not where I, I need to be when, I, when it comes to sharing the gospel and having boldness uh, for our faith. It's amazing. To, we, we are so bold about so many areas of our life, and, and we're so passionate about so many things in our life. When I look at Paul's life, you see a man who went from a man who went from persecuting the church and, 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 and passionately doing everything he can to stop the church of Jesus Christ, to taking all of his energy and effort into preaching the gospel. And everywhere he went, he was willing to give his life so that people would know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Even to the point where right here, and in, in when he's writing the book of Colossians, he's on house arrest. And, and he writes this letter, he writes the book of Ephesians, he writes the book of Philippians, and he writes the book of, of Philemon. During this time of house arrest, what was he doing on house arrest? He was waiting to go to trial for the crimes of living for Jesus and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who this man is that we're introduced. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, one that is faithful to serve God with his life. And what an example for the believer today. We're also introduced then to the, to the saints in verse number two, to the saints. I love that word. You know, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are saints. Now, we, I'm not saying we live like saints, but positionally, we are saints. That word, that word saints means called out or separated 
person. A saint is not some super spiritual person that the church recognizes that did some great thing in the past and we hold up in some honor. Those that accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior are in place in the body of Christ. The Bible says they are saints. Positionally, we are saints. You say, Pastor, you don't know my kids. I mean, they say they're saved, but they're not, they're not saints. And listen, those that know you would say the same thing about you, and those that know me say the same thing about me. We don't necessarily behave like we're saints, but positionally in Jesus Christ, we are saints. And so therefore, God expects us to live differently. God expects his saints to live differently. Don't live like who you were, live like who you are. And you know, Paul emphasizes that. You see that through many of his writings. Hey, listen, this is who you were. You were a sinner. You were a, a covetous. You were an idolater. You were a, um, a blasphemer. You were a drunkard. You were a liar. You were a hateful person. You were these things, but that's not who you are anymore. So don't live like that. Live like who you are now as a saint, as one in Jesus Christ. But not only does he say that they're saints, he says here, notice verse 2, these people were saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Saints and faithful brethren. These people were faithful brothers. They're part of, of the family of God. And notice here, they were doing something right. Paul had a testimony, or they had a testimony that Paul knew of. They were doing something right with their life. They were faithful brothers, and so he gives them this commendation there. The word faithful means steadfast, steadfast. And so here he's writing to a people to be strong in the Lord who are already steadfast because, listen, we can't ever think that we've arrived, uh, spiritually speaking. We can't ever think that we're, we're strong enough, but we must constantly be growing in the Lord. But probably the greatest statement in these verses about who these people are, they were saints and faithful brethren. And listen, if you don't get anything else on what I say here, you need to understand what he's about to say to them. You are saints and faithful brethren in Christ. In Christ. This is probably, I'm telling you, the most important phrase in the Bible. We need to come to understand our position in Christ. Listen, if today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not in Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that we are blessed with all blessings in Christ. In Colossians 2, uh, we'll see this in a few weeks, we are complete in Christ. But probably two of the, 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 the best verses when it comes to this idea here, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation to those that are in Christ. Not to, not to those that are spiritually uh, religious or doing good works or, or serving in the church or, or going to church or giving money or, or being nice to the pastor, which you should do, but it's those that are in Christ that there is now therefore no condemnation. That's in verse 1 of chapter 8. But in verse 38 of that same chapter, he ends that chapter and he says this, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If you are not in Christ, then biblically speaking, you are in Adam. Everyone is born in Adam. Adam brought sin and death, and we are sinners in Adam. But when we, when we get saved, theologically, we are transferred from being from in Adam to being in Christ Jesus. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit that, that we call spirit baptism. When we accept the gift of salvation, we are now in Christ. And what a glorious picture 
for the believer today. I don't want you to miss who Paul's writing to. He's writing to the saints. Paul, the one that has been called out as an apostle to the Gentiles, the servant of God, is writing to the saints, the faithful brethren, those that are part of the family, because you're in Christ. Because you're in Christ. Because you've turned from your sin and you've received by faith the gift of salvation. You have been placed from being in Adam to now being in Christ. And all that comes with that now belongs to you and, and to me. There's one other person I want to bring to your attention here. In verse number 8, if you'll look with me, or excuse me, verse 7. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Epaphras is a very important person um, in the city of Colossians, in the book of Colossae, but really all throughout that, that region. He was a man that was from this Lycus Valley that we'll talk about here in just a moment, probably a citizen of Colossae. And the church was influenced um, by the Apostle Paul when he preached at Ephesus because of this man. Paul had never visited Colossae. Paul, up to this point, he still hadn't visited Colossae. This was not a church that the Apostle Paul started. But in Acts chapter 19 and verse 10, the Bible says when Paul was preaching at Ephesus, that all of Asia came. Ephesus was a major city of that day, and people would travel from all over the place to do business there and, and to, be a part of, to be a part of that culture. And Paul found himself preaching there. And it was there that Epaphras... I believe, met the Apostle Paul and became a believer in Jesus Christ and had a desire for his city and for the region. And I believe, I can't prove this, but I believe that he went back and started the church in Colossae and started the church in Laodicea and probably started the church in Heropolis and, and, and others in that region. And he was a faithful minister, the Bible says. And he wanted these people to come to know Christ and, and, to, be, and to be discipled. And so it was Epaphras that goes and finds the Apostle Paul there in house arrest. And he says, Paul, we have some issues in the church. And, and listen, I'm just a young believer and I don't really know how to deal with these and, and I need your help. <coughs> and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul begins to write the book of Colossians. And so Epaphras is a great minister, a great servant of the Lord who had a desire to see people saved and had a heart to protect them from false teaching and to see them grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I really believe that's a heart that all of us as ministers of Christ today, as those being in Christ, should have. And so we see the people. Paul is writing to the saints and he's go using as a tool and, and, and this man Epaphras who had a heart for the gospel to go forward. The place, then number two, we see the place. This city of Colossae lay in the beautiful Lycus Valley. It's about 100 miles east of Ephesus. It was a Roman province there in Asia. It had been an important town, this town of Colossae, during the Greek and, and Persian War of the 5th century BC. But as time changes, new trade routes had carried most of the traffic to its neighboring towns of Laodicea and Heropolis and, and now Colossae was just this little country village. Heropolis was a town known for its hot springs and as you study it Colossae had, had cold water 
And the city of Laodicea, as you study this history and the, this region, Laodicea uh, had to bring in water um, on aqueducts. And they would bring it in from Heropolis. And they would bring it in from Colossae. And they would have hot water coming from one place and cold water coming from another place. And, and as you know, by the time it got to the city, it was neither hot nor cold. The water was now lukewarm. And that's where we get the image in the book of Revelation as God says, I would that you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm, so I would spew you out of my mouth. And, and so they would understand that image and that, that, that vision that Paul was trying, or that God was trying to create there for them. And so this is the region that it is. If you go to study these cities right now, um, they have not done any work in the region. They don't really don't even know where Colossae might be. There's a guess, but you can go and find Laodicea and Hierapolis and where those cities were. And somewhere in that region, you would find the city of Colossae. And so that's the city and that's the, that's the place and, and the people. And now I want you to see number three, the problem. The problem. As we go, as he goes to find the Apostle Paul, he, he comes to him and, and he relates to him the, what is going on in, in that city there and what's happening there primarily in that church. The church was dealing with doctrinal error and theological compromise. False teachers were creeping into this young church and, and they had probably were some smooth talkers and they had uh, great, um, they were great orators and, and probably made some, some pretty good points and they begin to gain an audience with believers in the church. And, and I, can I just stop and say right here, listen, we have to be very careful who we allow to influence our lives. I find sometimes, you know, when, when somebody uh, has, a, has a large church or a big audience, we think, wow, man, they must be something. They must know what they're talking about. Or somebody writes a lot of books and, and they put them in print and they sell millions of copies and they make all this money and they have all these podcasts and all these things. And I'm not saying those things are wrong necessarily in themselves, but we have to be very careful. Just because it looks glamorous in the world doesn't mean it's biblical and theologically accurate. And so we have to understand, we have to, to delve into the Word of God and know for ourselves the scriptures and, and be able to examine these teachings and these false teachers were coming in and they were dealing primarily with three major issues in the church that day. Number one, they were dealing with Jewish legalism. There was a Jewish minority that was coming in and adding law to grace. They said, okay, you can accept Jesus, but, but you have to observe the Sabbath and you have to be circumcised and, and you have to come bring yourself under the law. And so they were mixing law and grace. <coughs> These, these Judaizers were creeping in. Then there was Eastern mysticism, mystical thinking and, and philosophy that was, that was creeping in uh, to the church as well. And, and then there was Greek philosophy or the cultural influence. People in Colossae were known for worshiping angels and the pagan culture. And, and now you had all these young believers coming into the church from all of these different backgrounds. And, and people were saying, listen, you can have Jesus, and, and, but you got to have these other areas as well. And, and listen, it's, listen, Paul wants us to understand it's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's not Jesus and your works. It's not Jesus and baptism. It's not Jesus and the church. It's not Jesus and religion. Paul says Jesus is to have preeminence. He has to have first place. It's in Christ alone that we have eternal life. And what happens so often is the church allows false teaching to, to creep in. And this is the issue that he was dealing with here in this church. They wanted to bring all this in. And this was the beginning, some believe, of the, the false teaching of Gnosticism that would, that would creep in. But look with me at chapter 2 and verse 3. He says, speaking of Jesus Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is all 
that you need. Now, one of the popular things of our day today is you'll be driving down the road and you'll see a bumper sticker and it'll say, coexist, coexist. And they want us to all just to come together and, and to get along. And unfortunately, so many within the church buy into this movement. It's like, listen, just let's get along and not fight and not have these battles and all those type of things. And listen, there's some things that we have to stand up for, and we have to stand up for doctrinal truth and and be theologically accurate and biblical in our life. And so these people that say coexist bring two religions that are totally conflict. One would be a monotheistic, where they only one God, and then one's polytheistic. You could have multiple gods, and you guys can just just get along. And really what they're saying is those of you that stand on truth, you need to quit standing so boldly and just get along and and tolerate and allow everybody else to come in and be along. And, and, And it's not that big of a deal. Listen, it is a big deal because it's the difference between eternity and hell, eternal life and eternal death, hell and heaven for people in this world. They, so many today have abandoned truth. And so this brought great concern to Epaphras. And so he goes to Paul. And Paul is led by the Lord to write this book. And now we get into really the main point here. My last point is their position. As Paul is writing, he says to them in verse 3, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And he, and he gives them really three main points here that he's praying for. Now I want you to notice Paul prays to God, giving thanks to these people. And we need to be people that pray for one another. Paul didn't know these people. He had never met these people. We need to be people that pray for people we don't know. He prayed for them. Notice what it says, always. He was constant in prayer. He was concerned about all the churches in that region and all the churches that he had started and all the churches that he had influence in and and that others had started out of his ministry. And so he prayed for these people. Unfortunately, what we do is we tend to pray for people when they have a tragedy. Well, they're sick. They have a loss of a loved one. They're going through a trial. They lost their, oh, well, we'll pray for you, brother. Listen, people should just assume and, and know that we're praying for them always. We should be praying for brothers and sisters in Christ and for the, for the body of Christ and for the church, for the church as a whole. And so Paul prays for them always. And this is what he prays. He gives thanks for, <coughs> excuse me. He prays in verse four and thanks God, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul was thankful that they, as we look at their position, who these people are, and this reminds us of who we are in Christ, these were people that had a testimony of being saved. They had a testimony of being a a believer. These people had turned from their sin and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the faith of these people, um, the faith of these people was evident uh, to, in a testimony uh, throughout the region. Now, I want you to notice here, the issue and the topic is not their faith. Well, we live in a day where people, if, if you're sincere, then it's, it's good. You're okay. That's not what Paul says. Paul isn't cond- in, in giving this commendation, and he's not thankful for their faith. He's thankful for their faith. Notice what it says, in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you today, the object of your faith matters more than your faith. Listen, you can have all the faith in the world, but if it's not in Christ, you're going to die and go to hell. 
I mean, that is the reality. That is the truth of Scripture. And Paul reminds them of that, that their position is in Jesus Christ, and he's thankful for that. Number two, then, he's also praying and thankful for the love that they have for the saints. They had a testimony of loving the brethren. Love is, as we read through the Scriptures, an evidence of that we are followers of, of Christ. Faith in Christ and love for God's people really go, go hand in hand. How do they know that we're saved? How do they know that we're saved? Well, in the church today, well, they wear the right clothes, they have the right haircut, they go to the right places, they stay away from the wrong places, they do the right things. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible says, how do they know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, they know you by your love. John 13, 35, Jesus said to his disciples, by this all men know you are my disciples that you love one another. Notice it does not say you're my disciples because you all agree on every little point that there is. No, it says there, that, that you love one another because the reality is we're going to find some things that we disagree with and that's, a, that's okay as long as it's not doctrine and theological issues that we have to stand on. But can I tell you today, love is not a feeling and this is where we get messed up in. Love is not a feeling. Well, listen, like is a feeling. Sometimes you might not like me, but biblically speaking, you are commanded to love me. And that is the reality of life. We unfortunately choose, we pick and choose our love based on what people do for us or how we feel in the moment. Love is an action word and it's commanded by God that we're to do, but it's also evidence that we're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's our position. These were people that had faith in Jesus Christ and love which ye have to all the saints. And then finally, they had this hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof ye heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. So their position was they had faith in Christ, love for the brethren, and hope which is laid up. This was looking forward to that time when Jesus Christ would come again. And we sang about it just a few moments ago. Our promise of heaven. You see, for the believer, this world is not our home. We struggle in this life. And I'll be honest, this is the point that really got me about four o'clock this morning. We fail. We have hurts. But the truth is, one day we'll be, we'll be in glory. And all that God has said is true and will come, come to pass. Our hope is rested. Notice what he says there at the end of that verse. And, um, excuse me, verse number five. The truth of the gospel. You see, because I'm in Jesus Christ, I have the hope, the expectancy that one day when I leave this world, I'll be with God. I'll see Jesus Christ face to face. You see, that's who, that's who I am. I'm in Christ, part of the family of God. And so I'm to have love for the brethren and I have a great hope of expectancy that one day I'm going to see God face to face. See, Paul is writing to this church, and he's going to deal with some really major issues that they were dealing with, some false teaching, some false doctrine, and he, and he kept bringing them back to focus on, on Jesus Christ. But as he does this, he wants to remind them of who they are. And I think this is a good reminder for us today of who we are. We're people in Christ. We're faithful, we're saints, faithful brethren, part of the body of Christ, part of, part of his family. 
And we are to have a love for one another as we go through and deal with issues and, and we seek to remain doctrinally pure and true. And, and we have a hope. And that hope should, should bring great joy and peace and contentment, which they were losing in this church. And so many lose in our day because we get our focus off of heaven and off of Jesus and we get our focus on this world and we get encumbered by all this world has to do, offer and we get so bogged down in this life. And you know what happens? Things that aren't that important become important. And the things that are most important, we kind of put in the back burner. And we get focused on that which doesn't matter and it makes us angry and frustrated and irritated and, and it hinders our relationships with others and it hinders our relationship with God. And so Paul is bringing, as he's writing all of their mind back to who they are in Christ and all that they have in Christ. And may we never forget that. May we never forget that. But can I tell you, it only come, all, this, all these blessings come from being in Christ. And if you're not saved today, my friend, Listen, I, I can't say it any clearer. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, then you are on your way to hell. You're not in Christ, you're in Adam. And when your eternity is to be separated from God in hell. But if you, by faith, turn from your sin and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are taken from being in Adam to being in Christ. And all the blessings that come with that, both here in this world and the world to come, all belong to you. Listen, I have a lot of positions in life. I have a lot of wonderful positions in life, but none equal to those two words of being in Christ and all that comes with it. 